Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm your host, DM Mitch, and today I'm really pumped to tell you that we're doing another Divine Spotlight episode, and we are going to be focusing on the Traveler as the Divine Spotlight focus this time. If you know the Traveler, then I hope that your excitement level is through the roof. The Traveler, of course, is a deity from Critical Role. I hope that you're all excited. In fact, I'm so excited, I don't think we can do anything else besides let's just do it. Let's get into the meat right now. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. And today for the meat, we fooled you. Neither Mitch isn't here. It's Neil and Chris. Because today we are talking about red herrings and the best kind of fish on the planet. I all I can think the entire time that we came up with this bit was like, someone's going to be very angry that we are not talking about the traveler. I know there's going to be so many, like we talked about it beforehand. The traveler has been a huge part of critical role season two. Like I looked through the amount of episodes that the traveler is mentioned in and it's like every single episode, mm-hmm. the character jester mentions the traveler. And so people are going to be like, oh, they're actually talking about the traveler. Nope. Yeah. Nope, we are channeling our inner traveler to talk about red herrings. The traveler would be super proud, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully <laughs> this joke lands well, but we are going to talk about red herrings, how to use them in your game, examples, some origins of where the idea came from, which I think is uh, the best place to start. Chris, where did the the idea of the red herring even come from? Yeah, so I was curious because I I think everybody knows the red herring as like something that's like misleading or like you were sent on a quest and like it didn't quite pan out the way you thought, almost like a half truth or a not truth or something to divert your attention from what was actually happening. And so I was just like, I'm curious what the origin of this is. And thankfully, Emily Petsko um, in her article, Where Did the Phrase Red Herring Come From?, very aptly named, by the way, I might add. <laughs> well uh, on her article on Mental Floss writes this. It says the actual origin of the figurative sense of the phrase can be traced back to the early 1800s. So this has been around for a long time. I was pleasantly surprised to read that. Uh, around this time, English journalist William Cobbett wrote a presumably fictional story about how he had used red herring as a boy to throw hounds off the scent of a hare. Uh, he elaborated on this anecdote and used it to criticize some of his fellow journalists. He he used the story as a metaphor to decry the press, which had allowed itself to be misled by false information about a supposed defeat of Napoleon, um, Quinan writes in her blog. This caused them to take their attention off important domestic issues, which is basically the way we know red herrings now. And they are one of my favorite things to add into a campaign because as a DM, like there is nothing more fun than knowing how the story works and using a big, bad, evil guy or even a small tavern owner who's being bribed by a local mafia to throw people off the scent from what is actually happening. That's why I absolutely love Red Herrings. That's why I loved playing the little joke on Mitch at the beginning because that was so much fun to throw him mm-hmm. off the trail. That's why it was so much fun to throw all of you off of the trail of what yeah. are, what we were actually doing in this episode 
because most of the time it ends up as a pleasant surprise uh, for the players if done correctly. Yeah, and I started to do some research as well, and the figurative and literal red herrings when trying to find information about red herrings are recipes for red herring. Yeah, talk uh, more about that. What do you mean? I literally no, I literally had to dig through constant like recipe after recipe on how to cook an actual oh. <laughs> red herring. And, and that's like, not what you were looking for at all. None of this is what I want. None That's of it. Awesome. It was just recipe after recipe, like videos of it. And I was like, this is this is perfect. This is absolutely <laughs> what I don't want and yeah. what I want. Yeah. It's the inception of jokes. The layers mm-hmm. just keep getting deeper and deeper. That's yeah. awesome. So the red herring itself is a logical fallacy is the, the term that's used for it. And another one was straw man theory, where you're basically using something completely off base. One of the big things about a red herring is that it is a logical thing. And so then that's why they're effective, because if it was completely illogical, then it's not going to lead someone off the trail. It's not. Gonna- yeah, people aren't going to chase after it if it's completely nonsense. Yeah. And so that was one of the big the, my big takeaways was that the reason it works is because it's something that is completely logical. Also, the way that the origin story is talked about and how in one instance I, it was that it was to train hounds on how to remain focused on the original scent of the fox. So they would run a red herring across it and then try and keep them on track. Another was to bring them back to the scent of the fox where like if they started to follow something else, the person would basically pull the red herring out of their pocket and drag it back to the scent of the fox to have them follow along. And I say all of those to say that those are different ways that you can use them in your game. So yeah, I'm throwing that at you. How do you or follow this red herring? What do you, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, I think red herrings are so much fun to use. Like the why question, why would we ever use red herrings is super important to answer as DMs. I think one, cause it like channels all of our like, we want to see really fun, quirky things happen in campaigns, right? Like I love watching character development happen when something doesn't go fully according to plan. Like if there's anything I've learned from like villains in TV shows or villains in stories that I've read, they're really good at telling half truths. Like it's just enough to motivate your characters to go after and do something but it's not going to be like point A to point B. There's going to be a lot of character transformation that happens in the getting from point A to what's actually probably like point F in the story, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're going to come across multiple different stories. Like the the scenario that I was thinking about when we were talking about this in the recent campaign that I'm running um, was they met this really powerful person that had sacrificed themselves to a god, had become this ethereal, like invulnerable in some ways spirit, right? And he said, there's going to be something that's going to happen, like otherworldly, massive, cataclysmic in this town that's like three days away from you are. I'm going to give you a chance to right the wrong. I'm going to give you an opportunity to not let this happen, Right. So it's this guy who's like, I'm gaining all of this power by sacrificing myself and I'm going to show you how to use this power unless you go and do this thing. And then I'll reward you saying like, hey, this was really cool that you did this. Let me give you some sort of reward or treasure or power. 
what they don't know, and none of them are going to listen to this podcast because they're not DMs, is this person, there was a town that he was just outside of that he sent some zombies that he had created to now infect the entire town to then eventually go and take over the town. So it's like uh, there was this cataclysmic thing happening in three days. He said, just go to this town and figure it out. Right. So it was like this, this fun little like throw the players off the scent. Not enough to like destroy their game, mm-hmm. but just enough to like pick at their little motivations that are going to make them want to go after and be the good guys when really this person had this entire motive behind the scenes. Like that's the sort of stuff. It keeps me engaged as a DM, like giving half truth and watching players struggle with it when they figure it out. And it gives players a motivational reason to want to go after the villain that much more because they recognize this person is trying to manipulate me and I hate being Mm -hmm. manipulated, right? Like we all hate being manipulated in real life. And so when they do that to our characters in game, it just taps into something inside of us. It's like, no, like that isn't the way the world should work. I don't want to be manipulated. Therefore, I don't want my character to be manipulated in some way. And you can think a lot of modern media where that happens, where someone is being sent off this other direction and comes to that point of realization that they are chasing this red herring again, totally plausible. It makes complete sense as to why they're going down that road only to get more information and get angry. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly, I mean, Neil, you and I talked about this a little bit beforehand, but that's the, that's the part of the red herring that has to happen. Like it has to be just true enough that it's going to tap into something that your players want or need or are going to become passionate about. Yeah, I'll say this and then we'll keep going from there. But one of the big times I could think about using it or while we were thinking about the episode was when your players get too close too fast. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you do have like you're, you're talking about the big bad and maybe they find them or are about to find them much faster than you're anticipating, It could be from a mechanical perspective. It could be from a narrative perspective. It just doesn't make sense. Then you're just like red herring and just try and throw it and then send them off in a different direction to come back around. Yeah, it can solidify their hatred for the big bad guy or the villain. And it can also be in a way the villain is like toying with these people that maybe found him a little bit or her a little bit earlier than they wanted to, you know, and it can just be like, I'm going to toy with my food in some way. You know, like toy, toy with these people that are maybe a little bit more uh, intelligent than I thought they were. Let's actually test out how intelligent they are. Let me come up with some sort of puzzle uh, that's a half truth that can lead them off of my sense so I can keep doing what I really want to do because I don't fully know who I am yet. Right. Like that's that's the fun part, I think, about red herrings is it's is it can be that thing where like if they discover something too early the actual story can still happen, but we're leading them on this wild goose chase that still has a bit to do with the story, um, even if that's just the point where they hate the villain that much more. Yeah, and like you said, that that expands things out. And also, I, th- I think you mentioned it, but kind of the joy of trying to f- figure that puzzle out, because now you've been given a puzzle as the DM that you need to figure out, the idea that they found your big bad way too early Okay, so how do I twist what you found? Oh, well, no, I'm not. I'm not really doing this thing. I'm doing that thing instead. That's not as bad. Oh, okay, here I and then you just disappear or something to that effect. Yeah, I've always wanted to do magic in real life, like 
palm a coin or like hide it a little bit like and magic is so much of like creating the red herring of like here's a thing that's happening over here but what's really happening is in this hand over here you know um and it's that fun little way that like uh dms get to create a little bit of magic for their players and a little bit for themselves like it it can be that sort of thing like for me I found it's been really life-giving to create red herrings that actually have to do with the story. Like the entire thing that I shared ha- will play a role in the larger story. It's not like it was a red herring for red herring's sake, right? Like I think that leads us to our next question. Like when are they appropriate to use? That That's a huge question because you could probably overuse them. And in some ways, like you may never use them and that might be okay. But Neil, what do you, what do you think? When, when is it appropriate to use a red herring? So one of the other pieces of research that I did, I stumbled onto a video about when to use them in writing, which I mean, essentially, that's what's happening. Right. Yeah. You're writing an adventure is it depends on what kind of story you're trying to tell. I think having one or being prepared to use one is probably pretty standard. Like that's something you should be ready with. And when you start involving horror or mystery, I think you need to have substantially more. Um, totally. Because it's the idea that you're you go into a crime scene. Let's say it's you're in the city of Sharn. It's mainly because I'm running Matt and Josh and Eberron, <laughs> and I'm in the city of Sharn. Uh, I actually don't plan on le- leaving. I've downloaded supplements. We're totally staying in Sharn. Matt, Josh, so much to do. We're not so going much anywhere. Um, oh, yeah, ultimate red herring for you, Matt and Josh. You are planning on leaving. Yes. <laughs> Kind of. They kind of let kind it. Of. It's fine. Uh, but the know. idea that you come to a murder scene and you find all of these things, you find uh, a certain insignia of a thieves guild, you find a weapon that would lead to a certain assassin, you find like their calling card, you find that maybe there's not enough blood for the person to actually be dead. And so you've added these things because it's a mystery where your more traditional sword and sorcery, uh, depending on how stark you want good and evil to play against each other there might not be a red herring like it may be very straightforward i'm lawful uh i was gonna say paladin caleb and i just smash things that are bad like that it depends on what kind of story you're trying to tell yeah i think there's i think there's definitely so the, the people that i play with are all basically brand new to D, and i think red herrings are really easy to pull off not saying that they're naive in any way shape or form they've just never played in this sort of game before and so it's really easy to just say hey there's this thing that's happening and they'll chase after it right and so i think there's a real joy in being able to do that and not abuse it at the same time like still having the ability to create an overall story that has the endpoint with new people it's really easy to overdo it because you like for me I, I i have to resist the urge all the time of like that worked really well and i felt really good yeah about twisting that in there like the biggest shift i made as a dm is like i'm not here for my own story i'm here to help my players have fun right and like it can become a very egocentric thing for myself of like I fooled my players. This was so easy. Like, look at how much I get to have fun doing this sort of thing, right? Like for me, that's when I notice I've done too much red herring 
work here, right? Like when I'm getting too much fun out of this and my players feel like they're getting nothing accomplished for the longest time. Like they feel like they're just chasing after a dead end, after dead end, after dead end. Like that's when I notice that I've done it too much in my games. Which is one of the questions we put in the outline. And the funny thing thinking about it is that I have the complete opposite situation Mm. which is making is going to make for great great podcasting is the idea (laughs) like the same two people that got me into this over 20 years ago and one of my other players i've been playing with since high school so like you're talking 15 years i have the opposite problem i i I often will be hesitant to try something because there's kind of no point in me trying the thing because they're probably going to know like one just have playing the game for that long two just playing with me for that long like so they know I, your style as a DM at that point. Yeah, so it's difficult at times to for me to engage with the idea of trying a red herring because I think I won't be successful. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you think? Yes, because I think I think a lot of people are probably in that boat. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken in thinking that way, but like like I know DM Mitch has DM'd with the same group of guys for seven or eight years at this point, right? Or for the most part, the same group of guys, like. Mm-hmm. How how would we, you know, and I'll answer this question too, but how do we think we can help our players maybe play into their character? Because we all metagame, right? Like it is a it is a thing that we have to like almost retrain ourselves to not do as players is to metagame. Mm-hmm. So like how can we help our players recognize like, yeah, we know your DM style. This probably is either a red herring. So we're going to do the exact opposite because we know that's not where you're going, where you want us to go right now. Uh, like how, how would we recommend at a table? We help our players live into those moments, especially if they feel like they can sniff it out uh, right away. So one of the things that I was thinking is most beneficial and we've, we've brought it up. I put my hand in front of my face. So maybe you didn't hear me say that we brought <laughs> it up a lot before about using the ideas of our players. But one of the things I thought is, when we say that or when I say that and when I think about it, it's it's literally implementing exactly what they've said. So they mm. think that X, Y, and Z is going to happen and I make X, Y, and Z happen and I also try and make it seem like X, Y, and Z was always going to happen. But the idea of taking those and using them as red herring is like that's also very interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because th- going back to our original thing, one of the biggest things is that it is a logical thing that is happening. Obviously, it is logical to the player that told you the idea. And so then using their ideas as red herrings, not just ideas that you're implementing in the game, I think could do well for me because I'm just taking what they're thinking. So then they could possibly be like, oh, yeah, this does make sense. And using it again to steer them astray. Dude, I totally agree. When you started talking, I was like, I hope Neil doesn't take my idea. Cause like one of my favorite things to do as a DM is to listen to my players. Mm -hmm. Like they, the way they can like come up and try and like make ends meet for why things have happened a certain way is just ridiculous to me. Like I sit there and I listen and like, they'll like bounce ideas off of each other. Like, is this happening because this happened and this happened and this happened. And I'm like, no. But yes, uh, all at the same time. Like, maybe. And then I just sit there with this sly little smile. Like nobody can see how I'm smiling right now, but it's like the cheesiest smile in the world of like, mm-hmm, yep, 
That's totally what I meant to have happen. And now I'm totally going to live into that because it works so much better. Or I'm going to let you think that that's what's happening and you're going to create your own red herring that you thought was going to happen and kind of like take little truths here and there and implement them in. So it's not just like this lost cause that they worked so hard for, for, you know, six weeks of playing to then just have their hearts just absolutely crushed because they thought they knew what they were going to have happen. And then it didn't happen that way, you know? Ah, Oh, the joy, the joy of red herrings. Dude, it's so dangerous. Like you can become so power drunk so quickly as a Mm -hmm. DM with red herrings. Yeah, and so another classic thing that we say is you do need to know your players. The answer to the previous question of how much herring is too much red herring, the answer can be one. Like Depending on what kind of players you have at your table, that may not be something that they're interested in. That that kind of – because at the end of the day, that is some form of manipulation to implement the idea that you're sending them – And it's not really you, it's the narrative story, but at the end of the day, it's kind of you because you're the dungeon master. So you do need to be, you do need to be aware that like some people may absolutely love it and others will absolutely hate it. Just like the fact that we're talking about red herrings and not the traveler. Yeah. Oh dude, there's going to be so many angry people. Like we're going to get so many one star reviews and then it's going to play exactly into what we wanted. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. Like I, I think like I can think about my players specifically. Like I know because they're new players, like I've seen the way that they've reacted to people almost dying in the campaign. Like it was tragic for them when like they almost had people die because they were so like, what do I do when my character dies? Like they haven't played a lot. So they don't know like how the game works and the fact that there's resurrection magic or they can make another character or whatever it is. And like, I know when they find out that this was a red herring, which they're going to find out next session, like that might be one motivational for them to kill the big bad guy Two, they're going to be less trustworthy of anything that person says going forward. And so they're just going to be really like, it's, it's going to wreck with their, their characters brains a lot. Like who can I trust? Am I going to be, am I going to be rolling insight checks and deception checks and all of that so much more often now, because now they just can't trust anything that I'm saying. Like they're just so skeptical about everything at this point because one person lied to them, you know? Well, and I think part of it is also what aspect of the, the story you're tying the red herring to. Because if it's this deep emotional piece of a player character's background, yeah, this, you're definitely, again, that's the higher var- variability of they're either going to love it more or they're going to hate it more because it's that way. If it's I, you went to the wrong town and now this other thing is happening because you're over here instead of over there, that maybe that's less likely yeah, risk and reward kind of. Oh, kinda I totally situation. told them to go to the town that they went to. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> they're going to hate me for it oh, when they find out what happens. But yeah, I think that's a, I think that's an interesting thing that you brought up, Neil. Like, you know, one suggestion that I would make is like, where should the red herring come from? Like you can create an entire game where like, it's only the villain that's giving out the red herrings. Like the way you can balance that out is almost like the next things that they run into in a town everything is pretty straightforward you know like they're not going to be super on edge if somebody says like hey there's this thing happening that we heard about we're sitting in this tavern together we heard that 
there was this sacrifice that was going to happen outside of the town and they're planning on capturing the mayor later. Like they might be really skeptical of that mm. because of their last experience with the big bad guy, but then they actually go out and do it and it happens and it's like, oh, a little bit of trust is restored. Like maybe not everything that's going to happen in this campaign is misleading, you know? Like I think that's a, that's a, that's a potential way to balance out the use of a red herring is like, don't do it all the time, but do it just do just enough truths to balance that out. So your players aren't always just like inside check, inside check, inside check, (laughs) inside check all the time. There's nothing more annoying than having an inside check happen after everything a NPC says in a game. And a red herring is a super easy way to (laughs) have that happen for a little while. So the other question we have is what is your favorite use you can think of when you have used a red herring? Hmm. Yeah, uh, Neil, Neil, what's yours? I have planted NPCs before that definitely just turn on the party, and those are really <laughs> funny to me. Uh, yeah, just totally. All, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get into a scenario that the NPC has kind of shoehorned the group into, and then they turn and they stab somebody. Um, it's it's very tropey, but it's very fun because it's very yeah. straightforward. And more often than not, the, because that's the other thing about the red herring, is that there's there's a chance that that is a, is a payoff for the player characters or just the players that I kind of knew that that was going to happen. So then when it does happen, I feel like, Hey, I knew that I knew, I knew you were going to stab me and then you stab him back and it's fantastic. So that's, that's my number one use. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Do you have any other ones? Yeah, I think, I think one of my favorite ones. So like one of, one of the ideas that uh, I have that may show up in a future portion of the campaign. It may not is in the Harry Potter series. There's the episode where Mad-Eye Moody is kidnapped and put at the bottom of that treasure chest. He's like the director of dark art or the, the professor of dark arts at that point. And he's like pretty much like uh, kidnapped for the entire movie. And that just intrigues me so much to have somebody who knows so much information about somebody's past that they can pass as that person for the longest time, right? Or there's a portion of this campaign that it's leading up to, like it's it's the change of an era right now. Like if they oh, okay. if they if they prevent something from happening, this era might not happen. But if they don't prevent it from happening, this era will happen. And it's a, it's a pretty significant era in the history of the world that I'm in. Like the idea that I have is like, what if a God is somebody who's being quote, like a, like a, a God is posing as another God, mm. um, who is leading all of his followers or their followers into a specific direction. And it makes sense because the God is actually leading them out in their direction but really behind the scenes in the other worldly planes that they don't have any idea what's happening. This other God has already been killed or disposed of in some ways. And an entire group of people is being misled by somebody posing as the God, because we think we know a ton about the gods, but really like we only know as much as they tell us. Right. And so if this God is talking to all of these followers or sending out however their kind of mythical proclamations happen in the world. This entire group, I mean, millions of people are going to be deceived by this God into doing something that they might not otherwise have done, especially if it's just in line enough with the alignment or the things that the God would do. 
So like that would be really fun for me. It's not something I've ever done. It might be something that I pull off in this one, in this campaign, but it's like one that I've always wanted to do just to see what happens in the world that I currently run. That's good. I like that. It makes me think of, because in some of my marketing classes, what happens when a company buys another company and slowly switches their logo? It makes me mm, like Sprint that. and T-Mobile right now. That's mm-hmm. what we're going through. And you can, yeah, you watch as there's this transition where it's like the company A brought to you by company B. And then it slowly right, company right, B right. just gets bigger in the scheme of things. And then it's just taking it over or it's this mesh of the two. I love the idea of that red herring for an entire group of people that eventually just takes over. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you could do that from a city side of things like. The classic trope is like the city is really not run by the government, right? Like it's it's the underground mafia of some kind that really is pulling the strings behind. Like I think that's the biggest reason why conspiracy theories are such a big thing. Like we always like to think that the reason things are so bad is because somebody else is pulling the strings from behind mm-hmm. the scenes, right? So your red herring could be, it seems like the government is in control, but really there's this organization behind it that is pulling all the strings. The flip side is the red herring could be that there's no red herring. And it seems like the government is just incompetent of doing anything. Yep. And really there's nobody behind the scenes. There is no uh, Illuminati. There is no Illuminati. There is no, there is nothing that's pulling the strings behind the scenes. They just suck at their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. Do you have any other favorite uses of a red herring? Like specific times you've used it? Hmm. Yes, I do. I do have one. Okay. There was, there was a moment in a campaign that I did. I think we have story times on it. The Solarian Islands. Mm -hmm. I think there was, there was a, there was a one shot that I did at one point when not everybody could make it to the campaign night where the big bad guy, the, the whole, the whole premise of the campaign was like, he was gathering souls to reanimate and create these gates that these demons could come out of um, in the Solarian Islands. It's a very like remote place. Nobody's going to pay attention and they could just breed like demons there and then take over the entire world. So anyways, in the, in the one shot, it was this person uh, gathering and collecting his first souls, but he posed as somebody who wanted to steal an object, almost like a Robin hood type character to steal from the rich, to give to the poor. And the players that were in the one shot were like, yeah, that's right up our alley. We're totally going to do that. That makes total sense. Like we are chaotic in our, we're good people, but we're chaotic in our kind of demeanor. So yeah, that makes sense for us to do that sort of thing. And then at the end, he gathered them all together and said, thank you for getting me this item, which was like a port key that needed the blood of innocent souls to uh, create this sort of portal to this dement, the, the, the hells where the demons were and the devils were. And that was like his first couple of souls that he harvested. But the players the entire time thought they were doing this good thing, this, this heist campaign to bring this sort of wealth to this town that had been desperately deprived of any resources. But it was something that was a part of the larger campaign that they had already been a part of, but didn't even take place in the islands that they were on. So that was the other part of it. Yeah. It's like they didn't, they had never met the big bad guy before. They had no idea what was happening. But when they revealed it, when I revealed it in the actual campaign, they were like, uh, wait a minute, this guy that you're describing is the same guy that you described in this one shot a while ago <laughs> that now is 
here, but you told us that entire one shot had nothing to do with this. Like what, what's happening here? You know? So that was, that was probably one of my favorite, uh, red herring moments that I have ever pulled off in a campaign before. That was really fun. Yes. And that gave me time to remember when I did a bit of a red herring in a trap. Uh, I had a group of high level players in Undermountain. It's, I don't know, it's off on the internet somewhere maybe, but basically it was a trap where there's a walkway out to a chest. As soon as you start to go out towards it and you touch the chest, it lowers, oil starts raising, chandelier starts falling, but it's actually ever-burning magic, which actually doesn't cause any heat. So you have all of these high-level, experienced, high-level player characters ran by experienced players freaking out, and it doesn't actually matter. None of it did. You just could have let it go to the bottom, go to the top, and get the treasure. But if you did something incorrect, you could have set the whole room on fire. But uh, yes, there you go. That's awesome. So, Neil, do you have any homework that we can challenge our players to do? Guy who runs DMnastics, give us some homework to work on. Uh, I mean, the toughest part of this homework, and we've discussed it before, is politicians and lawyers have fun. I mean, honestly, if you want to see red herrings used in expert form, that those are the those are the two that will do it every time. Easiest place to implement them in the game. Mm-hmm. Totally. So the the other one that I thought of was Lex Luthor in Young Justice. Because mm-hmm. the kind of the way that I've talked about him before and I've heard others talk about him is all he does is give people what they want. But what they want in yes, quotation marks. <laughs> exactly. It's but it's yeah. at this price that only he knows about for these reasons that he's he's the one that's aware of. And yep. but again, at the end of the day, it's a logical situation. You're they the person's totally getting what they want. And mm. yep, watching but which is really funny because now that I think about it, in most scenarios, Lex Luthor becomes president in the DC. <laughs> there you go. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a a brilliant thing, like an easy red herring to do and to think about is how can the villain do something and help somebody get what they want while in return getting what they want? Mm -hmm. That is the ultimate way to figure out because one, your players aren't going to get mad at you because they got what they want, but they're still going to get mad at you because the big bad guy got what they wanted. Mm -hmm. It's going to create such a conflict of emotions in their spirits and that's what we love. Yeah. So that that's my number one. I mean, honestly, watch almost anything, especially episodic shows. Yeah, because oftentimes they'll do that. I thought so. I was rewatching Smallville recently, and at one point, there is a character who can transform into other people. It is the ultimate red herring because you think they disappear, they come back episodes and episodes later as a different character who had also left and is returning. And got me for for a while because I also didn't think of, oh, it's that person. Mm. I knew something was wrong, but then I like I knew I was kind of being fed a red herring. But then to figure out exactly what it was, I was like, oh, wow, you got me. Good job. Love it. Sounds like you're you're repping a lot of DC stuff there. Well, yeah, that's that's (laughs) the other that's the other podcast. I love Marvel, though. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like DC does that pretty well. Mm hmm. So yeah. what about you? Do you have any homework? Oh man. Um, yeah, I, I think 
try, I love the idea of trying to sift through your stories that you're currently telling, like think through all of the avenues in which the story could go and try and create ways that's both beneficial for your players that the bad guy can either have somebody else give them like that's beneficial for them. That's also beneficial for their player. I think that would be my homework. That is my favorite way to try and give red herrings out to people is make it mutually beneficial uh, for both people, but a little bit more beneficial for the evil person, mm-hmm. the bad guy in the story. So try and figure that out because it's going to, it's going to, be a ton of fun to watch your players be like, we got our thing, but we still hate this. But we got our thing, but we still hate this. Yep. Why is this happening inside of my spirit right now? Yeah, did it come at too much of a price? I'm yeah, totally, not sure. Totally, totally. So that would be my homework. Figure out ways that you can try and implement that into your campaigns where both people mutually benefit, but the villain just benefits that much more. Perfect. Well, I think with that, we should start talking about the Traveler. Mm, again which, which we're not we're just gonna it's gonna cut here and yeah go it's gonna cut here we're never yep. we're we're never gonna talk about the traveler until nope. we talk about the traveler or not until we talk about the traveler <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's me mitch again and i just want to apologize for that false introduction uh about this episode being about the traveler listen It wasn't my idea at all. It was Neil's and it was Chris's and I was pretty much held hostage to do this intro and this outro. So at the very least here at this outro, I'm able to apologize to all of you blockheads out there whose hopes were dashed upon the rocks this week. But hopefully this was a good episode that you all enjoyed anyway that Chris and Neil did. If you didn't enjoy this episode, you can write into us about it at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. If you hated this episode and you hated this intro and you hated the whole red herring about the traveler, listen, feel free to write us an email, feel free to address it to Chris and Neil, and feel free to tell us all about it. If you like the show in general, despite this whole trickery that has happened this week, head on over to the podcast app of your choice and leave us a five-star review. It helps the show get out to many, many more people. And if you do that, we promise not to trick you like we did this week. Again, blame Neil and Chris. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block and on our Facebook page. Those places are great. If you wanna go, check out updates about the show. This week we lied about the Traveler. Again, my apologies, not my fault. I promise not to let Neil and Chris lie to you anymore. As always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like Geek Wars, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, and more. Well, that's it. That's all we have for you today on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. If you're still with us, if you're still listening to this episode, you know that this is the place that we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm DM Mitch reminding you that I'm very, very, very sorry again for Chris and Neil and how they acted. They will be punished. And I'm also reminding you to keep on Dungeon Mastering. 
Goodbye.